Welcome to Westgate, where relationships matter most. Jesus was once asked to define life's greatest priority, and he answered by saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's the simple priority of Westgate. We're trying to love God with all we have and demonstrate that kind of love to others. We'd love for you to join us on this exciting journey of making relationships matter most. He will hold me Missed you last week, and it wasn't your fault. I am sorry for the technical difficulties we had. Something down at the, the television station just didn't work, so you got to watch a car show instead of uh, this sermon. But thanks for coming back and joining us again. And hey, listen, if ever you miss us 10 o'clock on Sunday morning, let the television station know how much you appreciate this particular broadcast. Well, as we're talking about mandates, we're reminded of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. He said, I want you as my followers to go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. We've talked about that many times, but that means to, to guard, to watch over these commands, to prize them, to treasure them, to recognize their significance, their importance, and the priority in life. And not just to inform people. Knowledge does not equal obedience. So Jesus said, I want you to go into the world and help people obey everything that I have commanded you. His commandments are not burdensome. It's interesting the world in which we live, we don't want any restrictions or confinements on us. We want to be able to do whatever we want. It's interesting that that actually leads to anarchy. See, Jesus', Jesus commands are not burdensome because they lead us to life. But the evil one in John 10.10 says that it comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. When we take away all the laws, that leads to anarchy, and it's not a safe or comforting place to be. I've, I've been uh, in a number of different places throughout the world in some very dangerous environments in which I wish there were more laws, more parameters, more guiding, guidance to protect us. And that's what God's laws do, these commands, these mandates. That's why we've used a picture of Psalm 23 a number of times. God's commands are designed to give us comfort as the sheep that, that David talks about in Psalm 23 of lying down in those green pastures and enjoying that still fresh water of a stream. As we think about these commands, we've been reminded again and again that they are divided, delineated into two different categories of loving God and loving others. But what we found is very unique is most of the commands we've been given reference our relationship with other people. We often think, well, it's all about just loving God. Yes, we cannot do it without loving God, but we demonstrate our love for God by loving one another. And that's why so many of these commands relate to our relationships with other people. The process for doing all this, talked about it so many different times, but I don't want us to forget this. We must deny ourselves and follow Christ. And when we get that out of order, these commands do feel very burdensome because we're trying to follow our own path rather than following after Jesus. 
That means that we're not dependent upon the Holy Spirit. But when we're dependent upon the Holy Spirit, prayer that I pray every day, God, would you fill me? Would you control me? Would you use me? Then we're following after Christ and the commands become so much easier. I want to show you a picture you'll see there on the screen and it might make you laugh or it might make you cringe or you might want to change the channel. But this is a picture that took place a couple of months ago when I was in Cancun for my niece's wedding. Michelle and I went down there and we were on one of those big catamarans traveling across the water. It was hot. We got over to the other side and they had all these street vendors and I just saw this hat. I figured somehow that I would look good in a Panama Jack hat. Well, as you can tell by the picture, it wasn't really a good idea. It was, it was an impulsive purchase. We've all made that in which we think it's a really good idea, but turns out to be not so, not so wise. I think we do that oftentimes in our relationships. We think it's wise to hold a grudge or to hold out until someone apologizes to us. Or we wait for them to take the first step. And it turns out to be a really bad idea. And that's why today we're gonna to be addressing the command to reconcile. Jesus gives a command to reconcile with one another. It's found in Luke chapter 17, verses one through six. And here's what it says. Jesus speaking to his disciples said, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. Now that's, a, that's an important truth to know. Conflict is a reality of life. We're not trying to skirt around that. We are all gonna have to address conflict on a regular basis in our lives. And Jesus says that. It's gonna be times in which you stumble, but listen to this. Woe to anyone through whom they come. That's a pretty powerful statement. The word woe there, it means this is significant. Now we think of it as something that you pull in the reins of a horse, woe. Well, I think we can use it both ways. Jesus is saying it is significant if you're the one that's causing the problem. And for all of us, pull in the reins. Don't be the cause of the conflict. Now understand there's gonna be times in which something does need to be addressed. Someone is wrong and we need to address it and it's gonna be conflict. So much of conflict is, is needless. It's what scripture talks about in the book of Proverbs is unnecessary bruises. And Jesus says, woe to the people through whom they come. You know, many times we, we are more interested when we talk to someone and say, would you please forgive me? It's as if we need something in our lives. And I think one of the approaches that we need to really reference is when there's conflict to approach someone and say, I am sorry. You may never forgive me, but I want you to know that I am sorry for the hurt that I've caused in your life. Well, Jesus said, there are gonna be problems in life. Don't be the one through whom they come. Pull in the reins, whoa, don't let that happen. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Pretty serious. It's better for you to drop to the bottom of the sea than to cause other people, especially little ones, to stumble. So he says in verse three, watch yourselves. It's to say, Conflict's inevitable. And if we're not careful, we'll cause it to be even worse. So he says, watch yourself. If your brother or sister sins against you, meaning it's against you, it's not against someone else, against you, rebuke them, call them on it. And if they repent, forgive them. There is that sense that we don't let people just run over this. If they, if, if they repent, then we forgive them. But notice what Jesus says, even if they sin against you seven times in a single day and seven times come back to you and say, I repent, you must then forgive them. Jesus is giving us this mandate to seek reconciliation. Sometimes we seek revenge, but God says, my goal is for you to seek reconciliation. 
And then the apostles, after hearing that, they make this great statement. They say, oh Lord, would you increase our faith? Why? Because we can't imagine how we can do that. And Jesus responds by saying, listen, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, we've heard that so many times, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. Now, Jesus isn't talking about magic powers. He's talking about if you have faith in the right source, the smallest thing can lead to the biggest of things. When you have faith in God, something big, small faith in God who is big, that can lead to miraculous reconciliation in relationships. When Paul was writing to those Christians in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 7, that church of Corinth, they had a lot of problems. You may be going to a church and you think, oh man, we got all kinds of conflict in our church. Hey, they mastered conflict at Corinth. They were, there were divisions, there were conflicts. And in this particular chapter, he's talking about how they're suing each other, lawsuits against each other. So people in the church going out to the courts to sue one another. And Paul said, listen, why not rather be wronged? Why in the world are you dragging God's name through all of this mess? Why not just accept the wrong and move on? First Corinthians chapter six, verse 19, he goes, continues on, same chapter. He says, listen, you guys are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God lives inside of you. Don't trash the temple of God by doing all of these ungodly things. He goes on to say in verse 20, honor God with your body. Now your body, and he's talking about sexual immorality there, but it, it applies to all areas of our life because it is through our body that comes our attitudes and our actions. If we're dead, there's no attitudes and there's no actions. All of our attitudes, all of our actions emanate through our body. And so here Paul is saying, use your body to honor God. And that means use your body, your mind, your power, everything about you to bring reconciliation to those relationships, to bring resolve rather than to bring conflict. You know, 85% of Americans in our country believe that our nation is on the wrong track. Could part of the frustration be that Jesus' command to reconcile has been disregarded? There's so much conflict out there, right? So much vitriol, so much divisiveness. Could it be that much of the, the fact that we're on the wrong track is because we've just disregarded Jesus' command to seek reconciliation rather than revenge? You see, reconciliation is God's message and our mission. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 15 through 20, if you want to join me there. Paul is saying, again, to the church of Corinth, with all of these problems and really struggling to, to live as God has called them to, to live, he said, Jesus died for all of those so that we could live no longer for ourselves, but for him who died and was raised again. A reminder that we are to live for God, not for ourselves, not for our selfish pettiness of, of needing to be proven right. Sometimes we want to be proven right more than be right. And Paul says, it's being right by being right with God. He says, so now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. That's the natural inclination. If somebody wrongs us, our natural inclination is to get mad, to push back. And he says, we don't do that as followers of Christ. We once regarded Christ in that way, but no longer do we think like that. We, we believe in a much better, more powerful way. Therefore, he says, if anyone is in Christ, he becomes a, a brand new creation, meaning that everything in the past has passed away, everything is new, meaning you don't have to always 
extend the conflict, but you can mend fences and bring reconciliation. It goes on to say, God has given us the ministry. There it is, the ministry. He's called us to the ministry of reconciliation. God was reconciling the world to himself. See, that's the message. God has reconciled himself with us through Christ and given us the message as well as the ministry of reconciling people to God and to one another. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. We know what an ambassador is. An ambassador goes and serves as a representative for our nation. It's not just a representative. It's someone that, that serves as one that, that is coming in, in the name of the one who is the president, the authoritarian, the dictator, whoever it might be. We're ambassadors making this appeal. God is imploring people through us, be reconciled to God. So we have this double message that we are to be reconciled with God and to be reconciled with one another. Nothing in here about seek revenge or try to be disruptive or divisive. Be reconciled to God. God made through Christ the one who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God, that we could be righteous reconcilers. Last month, Jacob Chandler etched his name into the Guinness Book of World Records by doing something that nobody has ever done before. This resident of Oregon alphabetized all 26 letters in a can of alphabet soup in two minutes and 8.6 seconds. He said that he trained for this event by finding the perfect size spoon, the perfect size bowl, identifying the right kind of alphabet soup that had large and easily recognizable letters. And then he learned to discern the difference between letters like W and M if they're upside down. Well, it may be pretty cool to have a, your name in the Guinness Book of World Records, but I, I have to question the significance of something like that. You know, sometimes our lives feel like nothing more than an alphabetized can of soup. Pretty insignificant. But God has given us this significant charge, this mandate, to reconcile with one another, to live at peace and harmony with others, and to encourage people to be reconciled with God through Christ. That's the whole message of Scripture. You're reading through the Bible. As you read from the Old Testament to the New Testament, all the way through, the message is that God has come to bring reconciliation to the broken humanity. We're broken with one another and we're broken with God. And the reason we're broken with one another is because our relationship with God is broken. And once we allow that relationship with God to be mended through Christ, then we have the power to mend the relationships with other people. That's why we say here at Westgate that relationships matter most. And we've been accused by, by other people that we're just kind of warm and fuzzy, but they don't understand the significance of that message. Matthew chapter 22, Jesus said, the greatest thing we can do with our life is to love God with all that we have and then to demonstrate that love by loving one another. And so the message of scripture is we have the privilege of making relationships matter most by being reconciled with God and being reconciled with one another. So what is the goal? What is the goal of reconciliation? The goal is shalom, it's peace. And that word means to live as God intended. I know that every one of you listening, you want to live as God intended for your life. Sometimes we feel like that's a little bit restricted, but the truth is we really want to live the best of life that God has intended for us. And we see in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, and chapter 14, verse 19, 
And in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 15, the same kind of statement. Listen to what it says in Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 17, to get the context. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful, because that's our temptation. That's our tendency, is to repay evil for evil. But be careful. Do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That is the goal. Don't you want your life to be one in which, as far as it's up to you, you're living at peace with everyone? Don't take revenge, he says, but leave room for God's wrath. You know, there's something inside of us that wants revenge, right? But you know, revenge is so much better if we leave that to God and we don't try to do it ourselves. That's why scripture says it is written, it's mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. God's always gonna do a better job of resolving the problem. So on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals in his head. You will accomplish what he's saying, far more good by doing good than returning evil for evil. Do not be overcome by evil. That's our temptation. Something happens to us, we're overcome by it, we wanna get back. It don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Romans chapter 14, verse 19, Paul says a very similar statement. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. To live in such a way that it's a mutually satisfying relationship. It's not that, that we're conceding, it's that we're seeking to bring peace where both of us are satisfied in the relationship. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 15, God has called us to live in peace. I think that's the goal of the world, isn't it? All that we see out there on television, in the press, in the media, on social, social media, everywhere that we look, we all really want peace, right? But we go about it the wrong way. We go at it around God rather than through God. I think of the situation, the tragic situation that took place here in 2007. It was late on the night of April the 26th, 2007. The police officer, Lisa Bolhew, responded to a domestic disturbance when a girl and her grandmother were arguing vehemently, obviously, a call in for domestic disturbance. The six-year veteran of the Beaumont Police Department challenged the young lady to change her ways with her grandmother so that they weren't fighting like this. And then she made a statement that has taken on monumental meaning. She told this argumentative family that life is too short to spend it fussing. That's good counsel, it's appropriate. Wouldn't seem to be that significant, but what made it so extraordinary is those were some of the last words that Lisa Bolhew spoke in this life. See, just a few hours later, around 1 a.m. in the morning on, on April the 27th of 2007, she was struck by a, a, fatally struck by a drunk driver while she was facilitating another accident. And what's so poignant is many memories that uh, this young woman left. Maybe the most poignant is this counsel that life is too short to spend it fussing. So let me ask the question for all of us, me included. These messages never are excluding me. I'm always talking to myself. I'm speaking to a camera, but I'm looking into a mirror. Are you living as God intended? 
a life of reconciliation where you're seeking to be right with God and you constantly want to be right with those around you. Frederick Douglass was a former slave and he became an ardent abolitionist. It's interesting that my kids live up in Washington, D.C., and so I've walked by the house where he once lived, not far from where our kids reside. When he was speaking at an anti-slavery event in the 1850s, he had become somewhat pessimistic and despaired of the great challenge of trying to convince a nation to outlaw slavery. On that particular day, his discouragement seemed to be getting the best of him, and it caused him to warn those who were listening that this, this battle, this challenge, might not be resolved without violence. And when he said that, Sojourner Truth stood up and asked a question. Truth was a former slave as well, and she was a strong advocate for freedom. She was a large woman, stood almost six feet tall, booming voice. And she interrupted Douglas in the middle of his speech, and she loudly asked, is God dead? The question was so significant that Douglas would relate, later relate it in his memoirs, but it also silenced him in the middle of his speech. He was a tremendous orator and used to people heckling him, so he would just continue with his mastery of words and the commanding uh, voice that he had, but that day he was silenced by her simple question because he felt as if there was no hope for this war against slavery, and she asked, is God dead? It was a turning point, causing him to realize that God is not dead, therefore nothing is impossible in our lives. And it was significant for so many people that that question is actually etched on the tombstone of Sojourner Truth in the Oak Hill Cemetery of Battle Creek, Michigan. Is God dead? You know, we often give up on reconciliation in broken relationships as if God is dead. We, we act as if he's dead and there's no hope for reconciliation. I've seen that in my own family, in my extended family. Brokenness that seems so significant that we would never be able to find healing. But God is not dead. You know, the truth of scripture is, it says not only is God not dead, but he has been resurrected. He's alive. He rose from the dead, demonstrating that he is truly God and has the power to mend brokenness in relationships. Some of us are old enough to remember having a checkbook in which we would get a bank statement mailed to us. And maybe some of you still do. So many of us do online banking now, trust all the logarithms and we just kind of quickly check. But there was a time which we would get the statement then we pull out our checkbook and we would, what's the word that we would use? we would reconcile the statement with our checkbook. What did that mean? It, mean? it means that we would look to see where the errors were and we would make corrections. We would fix what was wrong. That's what God is commanding us to do, to reconcile relationships with one another, to reconcile our relationship with God. So how do we do this? And friends, it starts with a relationship with Christ because Christ, it says in Philippians chapter two, verse 13, he gives us the desire to obey him, to obey commands like this. And he gives us the power 
to do what pleases him, to do exactly what we've talked about. So the real question is, are you reconciled with God? Do you know that God loves you and he's created you to have a relationship with him? But because of our sinfulness, we are not reconciled with God and we will not automatically be reconciled with him no matter how good our life is. There's only one way to find reconciliation with God and that's through Jesus Christ. Thankfully, Jesus Christ can make us right with God. Friends, we can be changed for eternity. I've said that so many times and I, sometimes we, we look at a culture that acts as if we don't need to be changed. 85% of us say that we're on the wrong track. We do need change. The beauty is we can be changed for eternity. I'm 63 and I have not figured out life yet. I wanna be changed and continue to change to become a better individual and that only comes through Christ. He can change us for all of eternity and all we have to do is humbly repent of our sins, surrender our life to Jesus Christ and invite him to be the Lord and savior of our life. And friend, if you have a relationship that is broken, maybe in this message it's come to your mind, a picture of someone where there's brokenness, I want to encourage you to hear those words again of that young police officer who died way too early in life. Life is too short to spend it fussing. Seek to reconcile today because God is not dead. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful mandate that you've given us. Seems very hard to us and sometimes extremely uncomfortable, especially when we have conflict in our life. But you gave us this mandate because you want us to live at peace. And you know that unless we do what you call us to do, we'll live with brokenness. Sometimes it will last a lifetime. Father, I pray for anyone that is in a broken relationship right now, that they would turn to you and allow you to bring healing and mend the brokenness that is there. We recognize that for all of us, based upon what your word tells us, that all of us in this life are in an irreconcilable relationship with you apart from Christ, but through Christ we can be made right. If anyone has never reconciled their life with you, I pray that they would voice a prayer similar to this. Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all my sins and become the Lord and Savior of my life. I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have, and I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. Lord, we know that statement means that we will obey you we will do exactly what you've called. And so I pray for anyone that is struggling in a broken relationship now, that they would turn to you, recognize that you are not dead, but you are more than able to bring reconciliation to that relationship. And we trust you for that in Christ's name, amen. Love y'all. Thanks for listening.
Kenny Vaughn, 25 years ago, one piece of God's word written on my ski handle helped me overcome my fear. That inspired me to start Shields of Strength. Dog tags, jewelry, and gift items that change lives. Now we have a beautiful new Beaumont showroom where you can shop all of our jewelry and other designs, many that started as y'all's ideas. Come by and see all we have to offer, or just have a cup of coffee. Shields of Strength on Major Drive in Beaumont.